It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Last week, Democratic leaders in the House and the Senate announced they reached an agreement with the White House on a, quote, framework to pay for President Biden's $3.5 trillion spending plan. They call it a human infrastructure plan. Remember, this is the second bill they want to try to get through using only Democratic votes in what's called reconciliation. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi informed congressional Democrats of the need to pass the bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill this week before moving on to their massive spending bill. That's a change of where they were. Meantime, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, on Capitol Hill to provide some answers for the Biden administration's uh, controversial military withdrawal from Afghanistan, the decisions that were made and when they were made. For this and more, we'll bring in our panel, Chief Political Correspondent for the Washington Examiner, Byron York, Political Analyst for Fox News, Juan Williams, and Co-Founder and President of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan. You know, I want to start, uh, Tom, with this decision that was announced by Speaker Pelosi Monday night at the Democratic caucus meeting that said, you know what, we are going to vote on the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Progressives had said, no, 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 we're not doing that first. And we may not vote for it if it's not coupled together with the $3.5 trillion spending bill. Now, as a lot of people projected, they're going to vote on this first. Yeah, I mean, Tom. well, initially they were supposed to vote on it uh, yesterday, but she obviously didn't have the votes for it. And and otherwise she would have put it on the floor, I think. And so um, there's still a lot of fluidity of what's going on in Washington in terms of you've seen AOC come out against it. You've seen the progressives have sort of, you know, put their foot down. Um, and the question is how, how many Republicans Kevin McCarthy's whipping I've been told against this bill. Um, so we will have to see how this shakes out. But certainly it always seemed to me in the political calculus that the moderates had the upper hand, that the progressives were in some in some respects bluffing, because at the end of the day, um, they, you know, they just don't have the votes in the Senate. And, and so it was either it was either cave and take, you know, take whatever you can get. Uh, and save President Biden and his agenda or blow the whole thing up and walk away with nothing, which seemed like political suicide from the beginning. And it seems like uh, that was Nancy Pelosi's calculation in the end. Yeah. One, it is amazing to see over the years how Speaker Pelosi has herded the cats and managed to get 
um, the votes when she needs them. It seems like this may have been a concession that, you know what, the moderates are right. We have to take the victory when we can get it and try to line up a deal on the bigger bill. I think that's right. I mean, I, I always like to remind people that if you go back now more than 10 years ago to Obamacare, people thought, gee, how is Nancy Pelosi going to manage the relationship between the moderates and the progressives. And you know what? She did it. I mean, she's basically undefeated in terms of these votes. And the expectation is, as she you know, approaches the end of her career, everyone has heard of her promise that she will step down after this term. Uh, I just think that she is you know, really challenged, but nonetheless, still a champion. So I would expect that she knows what she's doing. I don't think that's in doubt, whether she wins or loses, maybe, but not that this woman knows how to play politics on Capitol Hill. She may, in fact, anticipate that she loses if the vote is held this week on the infrastructure bill. But it's not the case that then she can't bring it up later. Uh, It's still there, but it would put added pressure then on the progressives to say, are you really willing to undercut Joe Biden and the Democratic agenda, uh, you know, in advance of the midterms coming in 2022 and to say basically that the Biden presidency is a failure. Are you willing to do that? I think that puts tremendous pressure on the progressives for subsequent votes. Not to say that they will fail, that the vote would fail this time, but I'm saying if you think in strategic terms, it could be one possible possibility. Yeah, and it may. I mean, it's only three votes, really, Byron, that, that separate this. Uh, the majority is very slim. Uh, that's in the House. The Senate is a whole different story, and uh, getting all of those folks, like the mansions, the cinemas, the Kurt Warners, the others who have not been in the progressive firing line, but also share those moderate views. The, the interesting talking point over the weekend was the Democratic talking point. It came from the administration and then seemed to show up everywhere uh, that th- this is going to cost zero. It will cost zero dollars and uh, because it's all paid for, quote unquote. It's just not how Washington works. Um, it's a talking point that, you know, people have to kind of talk their way through. Well, it's it's a talking point that became a punchline uh, because if something is paid for, it costs something. Uh, and, of course, it would be paid for uh, with higher taxes on Americans. Uh, I think this is a major cave on the part of Speaker Pelosi and the president. Remember back in June, the president really kind of stunned the political world when he came out and seemed to threaten to that he would veto this bipartisan infrastructure bill that he had just encouraged the Senate to pass. And he was going along with Speaker Pelosi, who was going to hold this bill hostage, this $1.2 trillion bill, until she could get the really big one uh, turned out to be a $3.5 trillion bill that's not even written um, until she could get that. So it, it, it had to be, uh, you, you couldn't get the $1.2 trillion until you went along with the $3.5 trillion. Um, but the weakness there was always uh, the fact that the $1.2 trillion had been passed in the Senate. That's where the big hangup usually is. It is passed in the Senate, sitting on the table in the House. The House could pass it in 10 minutes if it wanted to. Uh, And Democrats were not going to leave, and they are not going to leave, $1.2 trillion just sitting there that they all approve of, 
that they could spend. So this is I, this is going to pass, I think. And the then the question one. is, hmm? the smaller, the smaller one, one, yes, yeah, absolutely. And then the question is, what happens to the bigger one without the so-called leverage of holding the the smaller one hostage? I think there's a lot of questions about uh, that legislative way forward on the the bigger bill and really what is in the bill um historically remember speaker pelosi saying about obamacare we'll find out what's in the bill after we we read the bill um but it's still in the process of being made guys let's hold it right there we'll continue after this hey folks it's your man Keyshawn johnson here to talk about angie formerly known as angie's list your go-to home services Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know... You're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, this is the other big story up there, and this is the testimony on Afghanistan, and uh, we're hearing from Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, after the Bob Woodward, Bob Costa book, uh, where he is a central character. He's actually a central character in a lot of the Trump books as of late. Um, Tom, the testimony today, he came out swinging, addressing some of this criticism uh, about calls with his Chinese counterpart, about somehow inserting himself into the nuclear uh, launch process, which he denied, uh, and really stood up to that. But more interestingly, perhaps, and the senator's really going down into the weeds about the recommendations that he and General McKenzie of CENTCOM provided to the president. They finally got around to saying, essentially, that all of them advised the president, 2,500 troops on the ground, um, and that was their advice. And President Biden did not take that advice. Uh, I think this is kind of an interesting moment, um, even though we know it was going to eventually, Tom, go down to zero. But the sequencing and how the withdrawal happened really is um, the focus here. Yeah, you're right. I, th- I thought Millie's statement off the top was strong and, and very few senators, even Republican senators, questioned him about that at all. And he was very... Uh, you know, he said, look, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want on this in a private session, emails, whatever. Um, and and I think that that really uh, had the intended effect of of deterring anybody from really uh, asking him about that. And but you're right. Although I mean, the, the big house news could be a totally different story. Could be. 
But but none of the Republican senators really went after him on that. And, and it seems like perhaps the, the news reports uh, that came out surrounding the Woodward book were maybe blown out of proportion. Um, again, we'll we'll probably find out more about that as time goes on. But but you're right, Brett. I mean, the big news, obviously, is the fact that Joe Biden, we now know Joe Biden said publicly um, that not a single one of his military advisors, he could not recall any of his advisors suggesting or recommending that he keep uh, troops in Afghanistan, including 2,500 troops. And, and now we've had uh, we've had testimony under oath in front of Congress um, by you know his joint chiefs uh, and others saying yes. In fact, we did recommend that, um, and so he's 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 sort of caught in either uh, a lie to the American public or a situation where he's he's going to have to say, well, I said I I didn't recall. They may have said so. He may have to walk it back using sort of the the technicality of the word recall, which again you know, is not a great situation um, <clears throat> and will only raise more doubts about his sort of mental acuity and, 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 and those his fitness for office, those sorts of things. So I think Biden, you know, next time he takes questions, whenever that, whenever that occurs, I think he will, or at least he should get a direct question from the press on this. And, and he should, he should have to stand up and answer. Um, why did your, your, you know, joint chiefs and others just testify under oath before Congress that they advised you of this. And you told the American people that they did not. He has to answer that question. Yeah. One, Democrats up on the Hill saying this was a courageous call by the president, but we're finding out, you know, how lonely he may have been. And after hearing the advice he was given uh, about how to do it. And there is this argument that, you know, the Trump administration had said, you got to get down to to zero eventually uh, beforehand. However, how it happened is really the issue here about this withdrawal. Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple points to be made here. But first, I think that uh, military advisors make recommendations, offer thoughts to the president all the time. Uh, the people in the Pentagon are there as warriors. And they should, in fact, be looking at ways that they can use their military might to advance American aims. But it's not the case that, you know, the president has to take that advice. Uh, and it certainly isn't the case that we heard the general say today that they made a demand and said that, in fact, uh, you know, unless they keep those troops there, that he would they would they would, in fact, turn away and that they would be militant in opposition to the withdrawal. Uh, we didn't hear that. But what we heard was that the president potentially may have told a lie, I guess, is what we're driving at in the interview with George Stephanopoulos. The other point to be made, though, is that the generals are not politicians. Obviously, the American people wanted out of Afghanistan. Uh, and the thought about the way that we left, it, it, I don't think the generals or anyone else is saying, oh, if we had kept the troops there, those 13 brave Americans wouldn't have died. I mean, the point was made by the generals in their uh, testimony that, you know, uh, after the Doha agreement, uh, you know, the Taliban became more aggressive. If we had stayed there, potentially, it would have meant military engagement with them at a newer and more violent level that would have cost American lives. So 
Yeah, I think it's I, I mean, I get all of, that. Those are the, the circles that we keep on going around. Uh, but yes, Byron, you know, right. what the generals also said is with the 2,500 troops and the air cover that was provided close air support for the Afghan forces, that they believed that they could hold the line. They could stiffen the spine, put a hand on the shoulder of the Afghan forces that enabled them to keep the, the Taliban at bay, the government in place while an evacuation actually occurred. Well, I think that the, the, the thought is that if you were advising the president to keep 2,500 troops on the ground, that it would have not just been in terms of the evacuation, but in terms of saying this is a way that we can, with minimal presence, at minimal risk, uh, maintain control of Afghanistan. Byron? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to... Um, um go to a slightly different subject here, uh, which is I think there, uh, with General Milley's testimony, there's a real lesson uh, on dealing with the media and both for public officials and for the rest of us who read reporting. One, General Milley should not have been dishing to all these reporters who were writing books. It came out that he talked to uh, Bob Woodward and Bob Costa for their book, which is out now, but also to Philip Rucker and Carol Lenning for their book, the Washington Post reporters, and for Michael Bender, the Was uh, Wall Street Journal reporter, for his book. And I think that's too much talking from for General Milley, and he deserves some of the grief that he's got. Yeah, On the, other the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. It's a box of chocolates when you start talking <laughs> to some of these authors. <laughs> on the other hand, exactly right. You know, on, on the other hand, it should be a lesson for all of us to not get too excited when the Bob Woodward publicity machine <laughs> gears up. Uh, at, the, at the time, you know, Jennifer Griffin, white uh, Fox Pentagon correspondent, was doing a lot of reporting saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not mm -hmm. really the story. Uh, that, you know, Milley committed treason and went behind everybody's back and talked to the Chinese. And I, you know, accept uh, Milley's story that he did this with full knowledge of the civilian leadership there. So uh, I think I think the lesson is for Milley and for other similar high ranking officials, you know, don't talk to don't dish so much for uh especially for these spectacular books that come out. And the second thing is the rest of us be cautious and, and, and skeptical about what you hear sometimes. Yeah. I mean, listen, the first thing I said, and I'm not just crediting uh, this, but when the reaction to that just came out, uh, the first thing I remembered was all of the other books of yes. Bob Woodward, who I have a lot of respect for Bob Woodward and all his years in, in journalism, but all of the other books and the reaction of administration officials saying, wait, 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 it didn't happen like that. That's a little over dramatic. Uh, here's what really happened. And once Millie provided the backup to who was in the room and who he briefed and who then he told and Secretary Miller was told and the NSC was told, yeah, it starts to get a lot of people that were told that it's pretty impossible to to believe that he's uh, going rogue in all of these things, Tom. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I, I think there might be a, a story in a little bit more a uh, little bit more detail on Nancy Pelosi's phone call and why I agree. You know, that and I discussion. bet you will hear about that in the house. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, having the, you know, 
third in line of succession talking to the joint chiefs. And uh, I might want to know a little bit more about how that came about and what was said during that discussion. Um, but again, I think the I think the big news coming out of this and, and Juan's absolutely right. I mean, I was quite frankly, a little bit, I don't know if I would say shocked or taken aback. I mean, I just, some of the, some of the questioning from some Republican senators, Deb Fisher in particular stood out to me. She was sort of insinuating like, well, the, the, the generals, recommended that you do that president biden do this why didn't he do it and we should give the generals more say in what's going on the president has absolutely (laughs) every right to reject the military's recommendations for things um that is not the issue and in fact you know i'd be i'd be supportive of um not always listening to uh to the military now that was quite frankly i didn't think this got enough attention either the the idea that that there was a unanimous recommendation that everybody that among biden's military advisors that we give up bagram i don't that doesn't ring true to me we did hear more detail about the unanimous recommendation millie spoke about that of sticking to the august 31st 31st withdrawal date that was requested on the 25th of august um, he said he gathered everybody up. They made their decision. They presented it was unanimous. They presented it to the president and they stuck to it. Um, but I would like to know more about the decision uh, to give up Bagram, because I think that was among the the executional errors of our withdrawal from Af- Afghanistan. Um, that was the biggie. I mean, that was the yeah. one that really was in some sense sort of uh, it's mind boggling why we did that in that way. So the way I heard it, the way it's been explained to me, is that once the president made the decision he made to go down to zero and then to get there, you only have a few hundred that are protecting the embassy and the way out at Hkaya, um, there was no way to physically protect Bagram uh, with the number of troops that they were going towards. That decision had already been made. So the their hands were tied for keeping Bagram open. Now, you know, you can say the president made that decision and the military advisors, you know, advised and he went the other way. So, you know, uh, that's what they're trying to get to here. But you're right. Civilian control of the military is key. And that's the, the thing. Every president has the authority to make his own decision outside of advice. By the way, Senator Fisher uh, we'll be on special report, so we'll uh, we'll grill her about that uh, particular line of questioning. Uh, last word, Juan. Um, the fallout from this. I mean, is there a political fallout for for Biden uh, specifically about you know what he was told, decisions he made or didn't make? He's not under oath, obviously, with George Stephanopoulos, but it is messy. I think it is messy, and I think it feeds the critics. I mean, you know, right now the critics are you know, kind of celebrating because they say, oh, look at the trouble at the border. Look at Afghanistan. Look at the difficulty he's in on our earlier topic, talking about the uh, spending bill as well as the infrastructure bill. Um, But, you know, if you're asking me in political terms, Brett, do I think this has a high cost for the president? Well, if in a few months he gets both of the bills through somehow, if in fact, uh, it comes down to a matter of Afghanistan and what he may have said or not said or accepted in terms of advice from a general. I just don't I think it's in the weeds at that point. I think most Americans will be looking back and saying it's true tragedy, the loss of life. 
Uh, you know, we love the troops, but we had to get out. And, you know, there'll be arguments about how it was done. But the principal thing will be that we were out. Yeah, except there are still Americans on the ground and Afghan allies trying to get the heck out of there. And when the Secretary Austin said we did not leave Americans behind, he was grilled by Senator Hawley about, um, well, yes, we did. And uh, there are still people trying to get those those people out. Uh, okay, panel, thanks so much. Here's a bit of presidential history. September 27th, 1779, the Continental Congress appointed John Adams to negotiate peace terms with Great Britain during the Revolutionary War. Adams traveled to Paris with his two sons, John Quincy and Charles, for the negotiations. While in France, Adams wrote to Congress almost daily to share news about British politics and his general opinion about European affairs. Both John and John Quincy would later win the presidency. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Byron, Juan, and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.